Pod 316. October 27, 2011. Site 14, by Laura Ann Gilman. Welcome to Escape Pod, your weekly science fiction podcast. I'm Norm Sherman. So, Halloween coming up this week. Hope you're stocking up on candy corn, good and plenty, Mary Jane's, another weird-ass candy that kids traditionally frickin' hate. I love this holiday, people. And not just because it's a great opportunity to watch wondrous disappointment manifest itself on the faces of excited children. It's also the one day of the year you can dress up like one of the silver hawks and not get your ass kicked. The one day of the year you can really freak out cashiers by purchasing bags of candy and razor blades at the same time. Yes, I need this many. I was planning on shaving my back tonight. The one day of the year that your ugly, weird-looking kids actually end up saving you money because you don't need to buy costumes for them. A day when functional alcoholics creep from their foyers, pedophiles from their bushes, and ghosts and goblins from their graves. What's not to love, folks? And so, fittingly this week, we've got a creepy story about reaching out into the darkness, the mysterious, the unknown, into what Jules Verne called the embodiment of a supernatural existence, the living infinite, into the sea. Ever since someone invented this little fascinating thing called civilization, settling lands and pushing wilderness back, we've felt restless to explore and feel the agitation of not knowing, the excitement of the abyss, the tension of hunter and hunted. So we tell each other stories through long, dark nights to quicken our breaths once again and remind us what it's like to be held hostage by curiosity by the unknown all around us. And that leads us to this week's story, Site 14, by Laura Ann Gilman. Laura Ann's the author of the popular Cosa Nostradamus novels for Luna and the award-nominated The Fine Art War Trilogy from Pocket, as well as the story collection Dragon Virus. In 2012, she'll be dipping her pen in the mystery field as well. The story is read to you by Escape Pod's ever-patient producer, Matt Weller. So batten down the hatches, Aquanauts, because it's story time. Site 14 by Laura Ann Gilman Narrow Shuttle 4 to Gateway Station, you have control. Rabinichek nodded confirmation, as though the pilot could see him. Roger that, bringing you in. Palming the flat-top lever, I watched as he moved it gently back toward him pulling the bullet-shaped transport into the shed, an external framework of metal beams just large enough to hold two mini-subs, or one shuttle. Rabinichek has nightmares sometimes about something going wrong here. Forget the fact that it's the safest maneuver in the entire procedure. He still talks about waking up in a cold sweat because he screwed up. You'd never know it to watch him. When you're 600 feet down, well below the twilight zone in the bathoplagic or deep water zone, your perception shifts. Nothing as arcane as the chemical balance in your brain changing, although there's some of that too. No, it's more the realization, slow sinking into your brain, that there's not damn all between you and dying but a Duraplast shield and some canned oxy blend. 
you realize that, really process the concept, and you're okay. If you can't, you get the screaming memes and they cart you topside where you spend the rest of your life on solid dirt, carefully looking anywhere but oceanward. Not everyone's cut out to be an aquanaut. No shame to it. Even now, about a third of the applicants make it into training and more than half of them dry out before graduation. The shuttle docks outside with the faint bump-suck noise of a solid seal. Lights on my board match the one on the wall as they cycle from amber to green, and the door slides open with an oily hiss. I don't have to be here for this, but I always am. Call it a benefit of rank, to take the fun stuff with the boring. Welcome, boys and girls. Please show your tickets. Next station stop, Site 14. 14, for the 13 tries before it. First through third were qualified successes. Nobody died when the hardware failed. Fourth left bodies floating in a pressurized can. Irretrievable. Five and seven were mothballed after the regions became unexpectedly unstable. Nine was a chemical misfire. Four more memorials floating out at sea. You can see them on sat photos, orange markers rising and falling with the waves, never moving from the graves they mark. Rabinichek checks ID through the scanner, like there's some way unauthorized bodies could make it this far, while the arrivals step through a full-body scanner one at a time. He nods. Everyone's clean. Clean's a good word for it. The gate room is sparse, the sole console fitted with a clear plastic cover for emergencies. In case we have to hose down the room for some reason, or, God forbid, there's a lock breach. Despite regulations, we try to keep it homey anyway. There's a ficus tree in one corner, under a battery-powered grow light, and a welcome mat on the floor when you come through the scanner, and another one that says, Come again, in bright pink letters when you leave by the slide. You take your humor where you can when you're in Narrows. Hey Martin, you coming down with us? I smile in acknowledgement and shake my head in regret. Not this time, Kim. Chosen people and hire only. She laughs like it was a joke. Until now, nobody without secret clearances got past us. Even the construction geeks running the prefab plash shields into place got screened like they were having tea and footsie with the president. I'm just the guardian at the gate. But what a gate. What an unbelievable dream of a gate. Forty years ago, Kennedy promised that we'd reclaim the seas. It's taken longer than we thought, but 14's the next giant step towards making that promise come true. The five newcomers enter the chute and strap themselves in with a minimum of fuss, low-voiced conversations continuing without a break. Kim's got 14 slides down to Site 14, the others no fewer than six. It's like taking the subway to work for them, I think. Means to an end. Used to be a submersible would take you into the depths on its own power. That ended with Site 11, and the first slide, back in the 80s, putting the Goddard engine to use as its creator never dreamed of. Safer this way. Even if something goes wrong, we can pull them back up here. Safe as houses. Hell, one of the dive boys went down on a Dura sled a year or two ago, testing out one of the Navy's new equalizer headsets that are supposed to protect your eardrums in a high-speed drop. Headset didn't work all that great, but our dive boy was grinning even when the medics fussed around him after retrieval. Said it was like taking the wildest, longest pool slide in the world. We haven't been able to do anything about the slow climb back up, though. Yet. Rumor has it that the brain kids at Narrow's Think Tank are working on a way to pull the nitrogen buildup out faster. Cutting the decompression day out of shift rotation will make a lot of people happy for damn sure. 
We get more fights break out in Deco than we do anywhere else. Yo, you with us? Gordon, who usually runs the board when I'm not poking my nose in, is impatient to reclaim his post. Standing aside gives him the right to yank my chain. Let's get this show on the road, boss. I nod, flip the toggle that connects me to the massive plas and metal growth half a mile below us. Site 14, this is Gateway Control, sending you guys down a care package. There's a delay, then the echo sound bite of Site Base responding, Roger that, Gateway. They used to just ping us, but the brass got a bug up their butt and put a stop to it. Something about having a voice check in at all times. Like someone's going to sneak down there and take over. They've been reading too much Jules Verne. Nobody else has the capabilities, especially after the fiasco with the Chinese program a few years ago. When Jordan Mott snatched up the plans to that underwater breathing apparatus of Henry Fleiss back in 1878, he knew what he was doing. So did the government when they bought the patent for Mott's heirs during World War I. But the tech didn't really pay off until the 1950s, when the Cold War kicked into gear and control of the oceans became as much a public relations coup as a military one. Other countries can try and play catch-up, but Nerus, National Energy Research Endeavor, Underwater Services, made us the king of the sea. The door slides open and Sanderson comes in. Beady-eyed and mock-disapproving. Must be shift-end already if Sandy's come to collect me. I swear, skip a few meals and some people don't know when to stop mothering. She claims it's just her duty as shift psychologist to make sure that the commander's taking care of himself. Kim gives me a thumbs up through the plas window indicating they're ready to go, and I amend my earlier thought. Royalty of the sea. Despite her lack of height, she is queen of all she surveys. First draft pick right out of MIT. She's smarter than any four other geek brains put together, and everyone knows it. Being in her rotation team is considered an honor. She and I got staggering drunk in a Key West dive one night. Christ, almost a decade ago. Dry-eyed and emotional, she told me she never a moment regretted all the things she'd given up. Spouse, kids, any kind of so-called normal life. The ocean's the dream, Martin, and we spend all our days praying we'll never wake from it, you know? We crawled out of the ocean primeval 450 million years ago. There are folks who say it's a waste of money better spent elsewhere, that we should look forward rather than back. But I look at the sat photos showing a blue planet and wonder, where the hell else could we go? Site 14, they're on their way. I tap the toggle that opens the slide. Water rushes into the tube, gray-green in the gate room's lighting, and the capsule slips down before I can finish waving goodbye. Two weeks on the ocean floor, then another three days with us. Rotation up here is a month, plus 24 in deco. Last time I was topside, I spent the first two days just staring at the waves. It all looks so different on the surface. Unreal, almost. The reality is all here, in rippling shadows of green and blue and black. Rabinichek resets the hatches and I scan the boards, green all the way across. In the aftermath of the tube's whoosh, the chamber is almost painfully silent. You gonna stare at that thing all day, or are we gonna get lunch? Bite me. Sanderson bared her teeth, and I offered my elbow as though daring her to try. The jumpsuit they make everyone down here wear is bright orange like the markers. It doesn't look good on anyone, least of all a scandy blonde like her. Then again, color coordination's never been our strength. 
bright orange safety fabric, the Nerus Trident logo in dark blue, and the Mariner Tech Program patch in foam green and gold. It's one of the most god-ugly combinations ever invoked. Our names are sewn onto the left lapel, discreet in black, like we don't all know each other too many ways from Sunday. You don't get to work in the gate unless you've done time in the Mariner program, and you don't get picked for Mariner unless you've been cleared to work for Narrows, so there isn't a whole lot of turnover. In fact, this project's had the same crews almost since the beginning. Five years since they sank the pylons for the halfway station, two years since the first materials went down to lay the foundation, six months since Site-14 was pumped with Oxyblend and open for business. Next Wednesday, they're taking her live. Site-14 will become Nehru Station 1. Corporate-funded scientists and the academics will scramble for their place in the brine, and will have taken the next huge step to reclaiming humanity's birthright. Christ, I get butterflies in my stomach just thinking about it. Like the day before Christmas and your birthday and the first day of school all rolled into one shivering ball of anticipation. I don't believe in any particular god, but if I did, I'd have to believe he, she, it would be smiling in pride. You good? I ask Rabinichek. Get the hell out of here, boss. I'll take that as a yes. Gordon steps forward as unobtrusively as he can, willing me gone already. I get the feeling they're handing control of me over to Sandy. One uptight commander, roger that and good riddance. All right, you have the gate. Try not to let any merfolk storm us, okay? It's an old joke, and they don't do it any favors by pretending to laugh. Unlike the gate room, the rest of the station's surprisingly comfortable. The walls are cream-colored, and there's carpeting underfoot, a soothing brown and cream pattern that reminds us of soil, not sea. Or so the psych specs claimed. There are more potted plants, and everyone's got something green and growing in their quarters. Letting a plant die on your rotation is considered a pretty nasty insult to the person on the next shift, so we've developed intense green thumbs. The dining room is midway on the station, with workspace on one end of the elongated oval and living quarters on the other. Down below, there's control, where the techs spend their days poring over data coming in and sending data out. The gate room and the slide are part of the working area, looking from the outside like strange growths on the otherwise sleek construction. Pundits who pointed out that the plans looked a lot like a flying saucer were missing the point. It wasn't science fiction becoming science. Science fiction had stolen the basics from us. The dining room is a cave. There's no other way to put it. But it's a cave with a view. Half the room has a clear wall to the outside and half is taken up with monitors on a 24-7 feed to the outside world. Everyone's watching the monitors, most of which are currently tuned to one news feed. 148 channels and we still end up watching CNN more often than not. Even people who won't crack open a newspaper when they're topside devour the news down here. So much for Castle's theory of learned inertia. A moderate-sized giant squid floats by the Dura window, briefly illuminated in the floodlights they installed to give us an actual external view. Only the newbies bother to look. The noise in here is astonishing. Seventy-two bodies serve on the gate, and all of them seem to be having lunch at the same time. Whoever said the sea was silent never spent time here. Yo, Martin! Lego called my name when he saw us, but whatever else he said was lost in the din. He tried to yell again, but his table mates, still listening to the talking head reporting the latest movements on the African front, took offense. Lego rolled his eyes, made a silent come-hither motion with his arm. 
I shook my head, pointed towards the salad bar, and tapped my watch. You still pissed at him? Nah. And I wasn't. Much. So what if he managed to snag a date with Gretchen, who was only the most delectable hotshot to ever come down the slide? He was too good a tech manager to begrudge a little nookie. When Lego was happy, my techs were happy. When my techs were happy, Gateway hummed. Anyway, she dumped him a week later and got tapped for a topside position in Houston a couple months after that. There are some calculations on the OTEC expansion they want finished before the next shift comes on. You're not the only brain down here, pal. Let someone else carry some of the workload. She said it before, as friend and as a psychologist. I just shrug. So I obsess. Every mariner worth their patch does the same. This is our baby. Our dream. I promise I'll chew five times for every bite, I tell her, seriously, and am rewarded with a long-suffering sigh. I should put you on report, she says, also not for the first time. It's the only way I can make sure you'll get downtime. I make a rude gesture and escape before she has time to react. The taco salad is crisp, crunchy, and colorful. It also tastes like different flavors of desalinated water, but you can't have everything. I put the empty dish on the tray on the floor, shove it with my foot until it's out of the way. I'll drop it off in the recycling bin later, when I get up. We don't have real offices here, just prefabricated half-wall cubicles you have to back out of, but the illusion of privacy is everything. The carpeting is thicker here than in the hallways, so our chairs slide over it without squeaking, and it absorbs conversations that are held at a low pitch. If you yell, everyone on shift hears you. As shift commander, I rate something double the size, which means I can turn around and pick something up off the floor without hitting my head, if I wanted to. And I don't have to share with my swing shift equivalents. There are three of us, Marcy, Seth, and myself, and we each have a slice of office that's all our own. I pull the keypad back out towards me, letting it hang for a moment while I consider the figures scrolling down on my screen. A tap of the space bar and the numbers freeze in place until the thought clicked in my brain. Then I started the flow up again with another tap of the keyboard. I didn't have the answer yet, but I was hunting it down. Something in the OTEC configuration wasn't working at peak efficiency, and that bothered me almost as much as it bothered the folk topside. But for them, it was a matter of professional pride. For me, it was a question of comfort. Be damned if I was going to let them build any extraneous slack into the system. If not perfect, Lord, let me be both fast and accurate. The Mariner tech prayer hammered into you from hour one. OTEC powers everything we do at Gateway, from the lights to the computers to the pressure in our showers. Only our toilets and air pressure are outside the system. We have chemicals for the former and a nice secure double-blind system directed from topside for the latter. A ping sounded from the console built into my desk, interrupting my mental process. Ping yourself. What's up? Gary's voice came through, clear as a bell, his usual academic precision softened by the hint of laughter. In the background, I could hear a weird wah-wahing noise that meant there were other people in the room, talking just beyond the pickup range. Kimmy says you were frothing at the bit this afternoon. I was a perfect gentleman. The site director snorted at that. Yeah, well, such behavior is rewarded. Just heard from the disjointed chiefs. Our name for the combined brass of Mariner and Nerus. They drew names from a pointy cap. You get to lead the parade. I don't think I choked, but something must have escaped because Gary just laughed. 
You can thank me by bringing a bottle of the good stuff, not that rot gut they give us in Houston. Deal, absolutely. There was a grin on my face you couldn't sandblast off. I just leapfrogged over a long list of dignitaries and political foofas to be the first down the tube when Nero's station went live. Who says brown-nosing and sucking up never worked? Of course, all this presupposes our go-live date doesn't get pushed aside in favor of our brethren in the armed services getting some. Gary's voice was grim suddenly. Tension's climbing again. Way to ruin my mood, pal. Saw that. Before he could make a crack, I added, Yes, I do catch the news on occasion. Personally, I think we should just go in there and shoot everyone holding a weapon, no matter what side they're on. There's a reason they kept you in the civilian services. Damn straight. The ocean has her boundaries, but they're gentler ones of current and tide, and you rarely get shot for holding the wrong opinion on the wrong side, unless that wrong opinion has to do with pressure per square inch. Kim says they almost didn't let her people come down, that they're talking about yanking everyone off the floor for security reasons, they say. His voice showed what he thought of that. A sound in the background, higher-pitched, wah-wah, was probably Kim adding her own comments. So long as they're talking, we're working. From your mouth to the president's ears, Gary said. Leave us alone and we'll get them their damn food sources. One of the few projects they had going on down there that Gary could talk about was sea harvest, finding a way to use the geothermal vents to force grow protein. What else they were doing around the vents, I didn't ask. We may not be officially a military organization, but the government's got its fingers in every pie, and I sleep better at night having lower clearances. Anyway, just wanted to make the news official before you heard it through the gossip train. Congratulations again. We'll start warming up the welcome band now. You do that. Gateway out. I saved the file I had been working on before his call interrupted and pushed the chair back as far as it would go. Just enough room for me to put my feet up on the desktop and stretch my arms behind my head, the timeless pose of a soul in contemplative relaxation. But my brain was going a mile a minute in a completely different direction than before. This kind of acknowledgement might mean that I was in line for a new assignment, something with higher visibility, better retirement levels. Problem was, most of those jobs were topside, pushing papers and talking to the press. Christ, I'm a mariner. I'd dry out and die if they grounded me. On the other hand, it might also be a sop. Sorry, we can't do more, but here's your moment of fame and glory. There were pluses and minuses to both, and it was going to take some weighing to figure out which option I was hoping for. Still, I was clear out of my chair and on my feet before my mind recognized what was wrong. A klaxon bleeding in the air, and amber lights flashing along the wall. The floor shook once underfoot, and the desiccated giant red mycid perched on top of my monitor fell to the carpet and broke in two. A decade's worth of drills took over, and my heartbeat settled into something that was only panic level. A lifetime of swear words fought to get out of my throat. All hands, all hands, this is not a drill, this is not a drill. A failure at Gateway would have been intense red lights and ringing bells. This was a sight failure. Please, God, let it be something small. Let it be something repairable. A second alarm, this one harsher, started in counterpoint to the first. A particularly pungent curse escaped, and I broke into a run. No! No, 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 no! 
Gateway seems small when you're trying to avoid someone, but want to be at point B when you're at point A, and it can seem like miles of hallways and hatches. I swung over the railing and dropped the three steps that separated the living quarters from command. The alarm was muted here, but the amber lights flashed as quickly, pulsing with my heartbeat. Worthy, the best-named kid on board, came around a corner and matched my stride perfectly within two steps. We've dispatched Sub-3, as it was cruising in that vicinity. They didn't report anything beforehand? Not a damn thing, sir. His ruddy skin was blotchy with stress. Fuck. There was a sick feeling in my gut, like too much seawater swallowed too fast. An elevator in free fall, cold sweat shriveling my skin and chilling my bones... I'd been a kid when Site 4 went to hell. I still remember watching the coverage on television, serious-faced men in suits talking about instantaneous decompression and shockwaves and accessible losses. There's no such thing as acceptable loss. Not then, not now. It may be unavoidable, it may be inevitable, but it's never acceptable. Control Center is lit in an overdose of marine greens and blues, the kind of encompassing darkness that feels good at first but makes you yearn for the sunroom at the end of your shift. There were too many people already crowded in there, a mass of orange faintly glowing in the dark light like a patch of fluorescent tube worms. I put a shoulder forward and plowed through. They moved aside like sheep, none of them taking their eyes off the action below. Someone handed me a headset and I clipped it to my ear as I stepped down into the pit. Seven stations, each one of them manned by some of the best, brightest, and most dedicated minds available to Mariner. When I started, I was at Terminal 6, plotting the current movements and pressures. It was the most brain-deadening job in creation. Funny how you can long for something like that. Talk to me, people, one at a time. Long time ago and far away. As commander on shift, the fan the shit was hitting was me. You online, McCarthy? Yes, sir. Admiral Gregor France, scourge of the underclassmen when he was at the academy. Mariner Project's big grouper, we called him. The conduit directly to the White House. What the hell's going on, Martin? We're finding that out for you, sir. He knew that. Damn it. He knew and he was talking to hear the comfort of his own voice. I tuned him out and concentrated on my own people. There was a chair the OIC was supposed to sit in, more often used by someone's jacket, or once, for almost two months, a giant blue stuffed bunny someone had smuggled down for Easter. I paced back and forth instead, touching shoulders, glancing at screens where information flowed in a steady stream. No reported seismic activity anywhere in the area. The blast was purely localized. Reading came from below and to the left side, traveling outbound. Roger that, a voice said in my earpiece. Sats show no geologic movement in your area preceding the blast. The satellite program had been a godsend to oceanography, but it wasn't perfect. No technology could compensate for human intuition and observation. Still, if they didn't see it, odds were it hadn't happened. Electrical systems are offline. Otec's still pumping, but nothing's being drawn down. Geothermal, likewise. Could mean anything. We do failure drills on a regular basis. Nobody's going to panic just because it's dark. Hell, they sometimes turn off all the lights, interior and exterior, for a day or three, just to see what will go bump against their windows. Fucking scientists. Life support's still registering, sir. Went to back up the moment of impact. I breathed in. Hold. Out. Slow. Keep it cool. Hope kills if you let it ride your decisions. That meant only that the backup was still working, not that there was anyone at the receiving end of it. 
No subs reported to be in your waters. Another voice from topside, a cool, competent female voice. Thanks, babe. If there had been anyone prowling our zone, we would have known about it before topside. Unless they were all useless up there. The second klaxon was the one indicating hull breach. Worst case scenario. Hope kills. But hope is all we've got right now. By the time Console 5 had chimed in, I was at the master board, checking the displays in real time. Not that I didn't trust what my people had to say, but they might have missed something, might have overlooked or misread. Reports coming in from other research stations. That female voice again. Chatters jumped. Everyone wants to know what's happened. She reeled off names. Scientific outposts and military installations halfway around the world felt it. The only thing that travels faster than gossip is gossip underwater. The ocean's a superconductor of disaster. I can almost feel my brain split in two halves, listening to the clamor from Houston coming in the wire in my ear, sorting out what was needful and important, and discarding the panic. Panic filter turned way up high. The other half moving my hands, coaxing instrumentation in a desperate, already, damn it, hopeless effort to raise someone anyway. Site 14. Site 14, this is gate control. Site 14, respond. Gary, talk to me. My jumpsuit sticks to my back when I reach across the board, sweat thickening and stiffening the fabric. The two halves of my brain chatter at each other, trading information, making connections. So damn cold in here, shivers consuming my skin. No time for that now. Don't waste brain on it. Fuck, Michaels, what's your ETA? Three minutes. The voice from the mini-sub was hollow, fluted, metallic. Too much time. An impatient voice from topside, worried, older, male. Not France. I know that, I snapped. Let me do my damn job, will you? I just cut off a general, probably. Oops, I'll suck up to him later. Come on, people, give me something. Please, please, God. Sir, sight pressure's dropping fast, down to... Sir, we've lost all readings, sir. Life support backup has failed. The red display on the left corner of my screen has already told me that. That's it, then topside, graveled voice of authority, dropping and leaving silence in its wake. No! Voices raised around me in protest against that silence. We still believe. We still have to believe. Those are our people down there. Our responsibility. Gateway, this is Mariner 3. I'm almost on site. Too much silt down here. Can't see for a damn. Oh, hell. Michaels? His voice had been panicked, beyond fright, into an awareness of something dire and unavoidable and then an awful, quiet whoosh in my headset, followed by wet, crackling static. Michaels! Something inside me breaks. Very quiet. Very gentle. I don't have time for this. Not now. I hold time in my lungs for half a second, then... Alan, send out a warning along the trajectory of the blast. Code it for widest vector. Every language of the nations known to be seaworthy. Declare this area off-limits until further notice. All subs back to dock. I repeat, all subs back to dock. Mission Control, we hereby request the AUSS system be dispatched. Advanced unmanned search system, the janitor of the seas, sent in to clean up where humans no longer go. I could feel the dull-edged stares at my back and fought the urge to defend myself against them. Hope kills. Whatever was going on down there, we had no idea what had happened. It might have been a freak accident, it might have been system failure. In this imperfect, knife's-edge world, it could also have been human action. It might have been deliberate. It might have been murder. I wouldn't lose anyone else to find out.
I pace the halls. The sweat of my jumpsuit dried to residue. I probably stink. I can't bring myself to care. The sounds around me are muted. The lights dimmed or shut off. It's past midnight topside in the halls of Mission Control. I can visualize it if I try. Lamps still burning over coffee-strewn desks. Quiet voices and self-doubt and if-onlys. Those who aren't beating off the press are justifying themselves to the president and God and everyone else with a sudden interest in the fate of Nerus. The only ones asleep are those who have medicated themselves out of the pain. I don't have that option. Not yet. Sleep is impossible. Gateway Station is empty. Of the 72 warm bodies that used to fill this space, only seven remain. They're the cleanup crew, clearing and scrambling the servers so nobody can take anything from here but memories. Everyone else is gone already, hustled off within hours. Just enough time to stuff a kit bag, knowing you won't be back. The last sub comes for us in the morning. Four hours, maybe five. I'll be the last one to leave. Turn out the last light. My responsibility. My right. The wheels of investigation are already turning, but there's only so much you can do. The site is off limits. My order confirmed by nearest command. You can't send bomb-sniffing dogs in or lay the pieces out on a hangar floor, backtracking until you come to the moment it all went wrong. All we have are records and readouts and the hope that someday we'll know what went wrong. But that'll have to wait. The country's drifting on other currents now, moving into war. It fights us for space on the news feeds, making reporters headspin with the glorious glut of news. But all wars end eventually. They'll come for Gateway itself then. There's too much here that can be reused or worse, used by someone else. No squatters are allowed on our failures. Then the machinery of progress, the massive claws and levers of industry, will dismantle what can be reused, leave the hull sitting here, the slide a rooted stem without petals, without a head. Rebuild further down the ocean floor, somewhere the orange markers won't mock us. I'm broken and bleeding inside. I know that the way you know things impossible that are nonetheless true. I'm bleeding inside, and it's flooding me until I can't breathe anymore. I don't know what I'm supposed to feel. I don't remember what I used to feel. They tried to retrieve me first, bring me topside for debriefing, but I wouldn't go. Not yet. There will be time for all that. There will be nothing but time soon enough. The shrinks will pull it all out of me, the anger and the pain and the fear. They'll drain me and patch me, and if I'm not as good as new, well... Nobody who knows will tell. And then they'll reassign me to a very important desk job. Somewhere miles from the brine. I can almost accept it. I'll lie to myself all for the sake of the dream that there will be a Site 15. That Kim and Gary and Seth and Michael and all the others didn't sacrifice everything for nothing. Tomorrow I'll believe that. I've been walking all this time. It seems inevitable, somehow, that I end up outside the gate room. Red across the board. Out of habit, I flick the toggle. Site 14, this is gateway control. Somewhere inside the broken silence within me, I hear the echo of a single ping.
was our story. Hope you enjoyed. Moderate-sized giant squid. That one's got me in a bit of a ontological paradox loop, folks. Think I'm gonna have to go shave my back now. But first, a little listener feedback with Escape Pod's assistant editor, Bill Peters. Take it away, Bill. Hello, faithful listeners. I'm here this week with the feedback for episode 309, The Insurance Agent, by Lavi Tidhar and read by Christian Brady. This one takes place in the deep South Pacific and concerned insurance and aliens who are spiritual entities who need to be insured. Ka said, The point of this one was lost on me. I was really into it up until the anticlimactic ending, which I totally just didn't get. I generally love the concept of Jesus and Buddha and Elvis and such being aliens, but the one that kept kicking me out of the story was Oddco. Were we supposed to know what that was in reference to? And while I'm not 100% sure that this was Lavi's intention, including Yuri Geller in the list of potential candidates for spiritual entities, lent a definite air of con man to all of them by association. I began to doubt that any of what the protagonist saw actually happened at that point. Unblinking said, The thing that bugs me most about this is that it had such an awesome setting, an island where all the defunct, semi-functional war machines are dumped and are living independently. That's such a cool idea, but this story didn't really make much use of that. The main issues were the huge info dumps of semi-relevant material about the society at the beginning, and that it's never really clear what the spiritual entities are. Some mystery is cool, but they're so mysterious as to be a complete unknown. I don't need to know where they come from with a certainty, but at least some degree of their abilities is rather important. Are they actually superhuman like the name implies? I didn't really come away with any idea. And that's it for this week. The episode whose feedback would have come next week is a flash episode of three stories, all of which didn't get that many comments. So instead, you'll be getting episode 311. Episode 311, The Faithful Soldier Prompted, by Saladin Ahmed. Thank you, Bill. All right, folks, that'd be our show. Remember, Escape Pod's a production of Escape Artists Incorporated. It's produced with the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change or sell it or cut your hands with the whole razor blade candy bar thing tonight because, you know, those razors are sharp. Don't be a Butterfingers. If you enjoyed this week's show, you can help out. Hit up escapepod.org and donate to the podcast. We both rely on and appreciate your support. Our music is used with the permission of Daikaiju. Check them out at daikaiju.com. And our closing quotation this week comes again from Jules Verne, conceiver of the electric submarine, who said, The Nautilus was piercing the water with its sharp spur. After having accomplished nearly 10,000 leagues in three months and a half, a distance greater than the great circle of the Earth. Where were we going now? And what was reserved for the future? (laughs) 